Anyway, looking forward to this morning and, and um, just an opportunity to, to talk with you about <clears throat> something that I think is, is critically important. We started a sermon series last week uh, called, um, what's it called? I should know that, right? Because I know nobody else is paying attention to that. <laughs> Us preachers, we think everybody's paying attention to our sermon series. But um, Lost in translation, thank you. Uh, lost in translation, that's really, as I mentioned last week, really nothing to do with Greek, Hebrew, all that kind of stuff, but really just an understanding of things that have been lost from the first century till now, uh, just over generations of time, and very important things that have been lost. And um, we're going to carry on with that today um, in just a little bit of a different format, just some some Q&A and just some uh uh, talking back and forth about something that I think really fits uh, something that has been lost many times, and it's so, so critical. As a matter of fact, the topic that we're going to talk about today being the body, um, there's really, uh, it wouldn't have mattered if I was in a toka or if I was someplace else preaching. The first person that would have come to my mind in talking about being the body would have been James Crowson. And... Um, James and I, I was thinking on the way down here, um, I believe we met each other in about 2005 or six. And uh, I was an associate pastor at a church called the King's House in McAllister. And uh, James was uh, part of a, a hospice there in McAllister and we got to know each other a little bit. And, um, and then maybe a year or so later, 2007, somewhere in there, you actually came on staff at the church so we were able to serve together for a while. And um, so James and I have known each other, I guess, for the past 11 years or so. And, uh, you know, when it comes to, you know, a lot of things have changed in both of our lives over the past 11 years. And, um, but the one thing that, that, that has not changed is that James has always been, ever since I've met him to this day, and I know that so many of you would concur, he has always been a guy that, I knew I could turn to at any point and any time, tell him anything I needed to tell him, and that he was going to be a friend to me. And uh, so when it comes to this topic of being the body, James has a real heart for this, and this is something that he exemplifies every day. And uh, I know if I start telling you, you know, uh, my history with James, it pales in comparison to many of you. Uh, I know it was Blake. Blake said to me when I walked in today, he said, Blake, he said, Scott, do you know, James was my pastor for like 16 years. And, um, and I said, you know, I know that he was a lot of people's pastor for a long time in this area. And um, so I call him a legend in these parts. And, uh, but um, I, uh, I'm looking forward to just hearing some things on his heart today as we talk about being the body. So would you guys welcome James Krausen? So uh, James, one of the gifts that James has is, is he has a lot of stuff uh, floating around in his head. I can't keep, I can't, I can't keep all that stuff. He, he has more stories, you guys know, than, uh, than any, anybody I've ever been around and remembers so many things. But the thing that I love about James is that um, more than stories, he remembers people. 
which that's what this is all about is is being the body uh, about people about relationships and um, I don't know how he juggles so many relationships he just cares for so many people and so I want to just begin by um, asking him a question just to get us started and then we'll just see see where it goes from there but uh, uh, we're talking again about uh, lost in translation and I want to ask you James what um, you know, what, what did uh, being the body look like in the first century? First of all, I'd like to say I love Scott. <laughs> we uh, have, we've put in all of summers over at Hunan's, put all of her kids through school by eating <laughs> Chinese food together. So, <laughs> but I do love Scott, and we do have uh, good fellowship. Well, the body in the first century was uh, an expression of Christ. Uh, Paul said it this way, for he is the head and we are his body. So as you look at the book of Acts, what you have is a body. Uh, not a building, but a body. Nothing wrong with buildings. But, uh, and I think the thing that you know I have noticed in the book of Acts is that there was a pervasive attitude in that body. It was that of a servant. Everybody there served one another. Jesus had uh, embolized and, and shown this when he, when he washed everybody's feet. He, the master, washed the disciples' feet, and he said, you need to go out and do this also. So the early church was a ministering body uh, so concerned about every member that it even says that there was a time in the, in the history of that church where there was not anyone that had need in that body. Now, I, I missed a scripture that I caught this week up above that. That is said after they had baptized 3,000 people. Now, that's a toka. So that body was a functioning body, uh, looking to Jesus as the head, servant-oriented, making sure that they were all doing their parts. And there's probably, what, 75 people here today. You know how many people it takes to pastor and to be the body at Cornerstone? It takes all 75 of you today. Anyway, it was a body. Uh, it wasn't an organization. It was a living organism. It was uh, uh, alive with the life of God. Jesus was the head. Uh, there were uh, people there that had given their life literally for one another. So that's kind of his body. Let me, let me read a passage of scripture that he's referring to that I think really gives us context for today. And uh, as he said just before uh, this passage, uh, Peter had preached the first sermon and, um, you know, it says that, that 3,000 were added to their number that day. And it goes on in, in Acts 4. This is Acts 4, uh, verses 32 through 34 is what I'm going to read. And um, <clears throat> it says this. All the believers, and I appreciate him drawing attention to the fact that, that we're not talking about um, the 12. I mean, the 12 were part of it. We're not talking about, you know, 50 people. We're now talking about thousands of people. And it says that all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. And with great power, the apostles continued 
to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There was no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them and brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. And so you, you, we get these little windows into, I mean, we don't have a lot of information. So we, we really got to rely on these windows that we have into what did the first church look like? How did they function? What was life like? How were they so successful in very difficult times? You know, I mean, we're, we're kind of at a point right now when this, this election thing is never going to end. Okay. We're, we're at this point in, in America where we, we're, we're, we, we find ourselves, if we're not careful, we're at this point where we're like, it's never been worse than this. I mean, our country is just, I cannot believe what, our, what, it, what we're becoming and all of that kind of stuff. And, and, and it's really good for us sometimes to, to, to understand, to look in Scripture and realize that the church has been a part of far worse situations than what we are experiencing right now in America. We need perspective. And we need this, this window into the life of the church where, where it says that they, all the believers were one in heart and mind. One in heart and mind. James, what, 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 I mean, what comes to mind when you hear those words? One in heart and mind. Well, that would be a focus on the kingdom of God, that uh, focus on Christ. We can't all agree about the same thing, right? I mean, we all have different favorite foods, right? I dread going by an olive garden because I always have to stop because my wife wants to stop. I'd rather go to El Chico's any day of the week. But anyway, we have to learn some diversity and we have to learn some. But being of one heart and one mind is seeing that Jesus is the head and that he is the Lord and that we are all subject to him and we are to honor him in the earth. It doesn't mean they all thought the same thing. There was great diversity in that group. Matter of fact, in Acts chapter 6, there was a, some uh, Greek women who were not being taken care of. The Greeks were not being taken care of. And there was such a diversity, they had to form an, a really a pattern to make sure that's where deacons came from, making sure that everybody's needs, that they were met. So one heart and one mind doesn't mean thinking the same thing, but it means the internal commitment to Jesus the head that I have such a servant desire for you that I will do nothing to isolate or estrange you in my life that you would be my brother and my sister because we are connected to the head good appreciate that um and in this passage also uh he, he references earlier and i think it's uh i think this is the kind of thing that um you, you almost read it and you just wonder how in the world did they pull that off and how are we going to pull that off it comes to a point where it says here that there were, there were no needy persons among them. No needy persons among them. Um, you know, just, just thinking about this, this idea that within the body of Christ, every need gets met, which is only possible as we come back to kind of something that James said a minute ago, and that is, you know, if there's 75 people in this church right now, how many people does it take in order to be the body and to make sure no need goes unmet? A, a, a preacher and a couple of leadership people? Is, is, that, is that what it takes in order for 
every need to be met. No, it takes every person in this room. It takes every person who's a part of this body uh, to be able uh, to do that. Let, let's talk for a minute something I think is, is very interesting about um, just something I think that we need to wrap our arms around a little bit, and that is this idea that, that among them there were no needy people. Um, and sometimes I think we think that our calling is to, um, to meet every need everywhere in the whole community, which would be wonderful, but impossible. Okay? But we, we see this model in the early church that within the body of Christ, every need was met. James, talk a little bit about that. Well, the Bible says we're to do good to all men, especially the household of faith. And you have to understand that the health of this community is parallel to the health of this body. Uh, I, many of you know now that I, I administrate a hospice in McAllister. When I hire a chaplain, for example, I always tell him, now your first area of responsibility is our staff. You take care of our staff. And whatever that means, you take care of our staff. Then we'll go out and take care of our patients and our families. And that's almost a paradigm shift because it almost seems that we're there. You know, because, But I know this, that if we're not internally healthy, that externally we're not going to be able to take an internal model to an external world uh, and I want to tell you uh, Scott and I talked this week he bought me lunch at the rib crib I tell, I tell you Arby's don't have the meats the rib crib has the meats but, <laughs> but anyway we were, we were there talking and I told Scott I said you know when we start thinking about one not one needy one among them the first thing that we see is dollars that's the easiest thing in the world to do. Did you know it is a lot easier to give a $50 bill than to go and give 50 minutes of your time in bad situations where you flick roaches off your arm and you have to move over and you have to shake your leg and shake the roaches off. I've been in those places where you're talking to somebody and there's a parade of roaches on the wall. Now, I'm not saying poor me, but I'm saying it would be a lot easier if I could pay somebody $50 to go make that visit for me. And the point is that we have to have that internal commitment to one another to make sure that if anybody in this fellowship is in distress, you know, the most exciting thing to me as pastor was when I went to a situation and people from the church had already been there. I knew I was doing my job. When people had already been there and taken care of things and had a meal planned and all those things, uh, but internally, if we don't model a, mo a unit, you know, okay, let me give you an example. I've done this a long time, you know, and I, I'm not going to be negative today, but there are people who, that we call entitlement-oriented rather than servant-oriented, and it's all about them. Now, let me just tell you something straight up. This ain't about you, and it ain't about me. It's about Jesus and you and others. And when I get a model that, you know, I feel entitled, that I need to be special, then I have missed the internal part that I can play. And this, the Bible says every joint supplies. That means everybody has to be doing their part. If you're the hand, if you're the eye, it's interesting how Paul said the eye cannot say and the hand cannot say. Uh, what a model of how we have to take our places. But as we take our places internally, making sure 
uh, when somebody fails in the church. Anybody here ever failed? You know, God spoke to me one time, don't worry about failure anymore, you've already done that. When somebody fails, that's when the real test of internal structures and commitment happens. What do we do? Somebody once said, we're the only army in the world that shoot and kill our wounded. But we're to care for one another. We're to provide for one another. We're to, to be there. And we have spiritual gifts. Did you know that? We have spiritual gifts. That's what the word charismatic means, gifted and joyful. Everybody here ought to be gifted and joyful. I'm supposed to grin and laugh about that. But <laughs> I, I, the point is, you have a grace gift in you, and it is for the good of the others. The Bible says we have a gift in us for the service and employing that gift for the service of one another. My gift is not for me, it's for you. Your gift is not for you, it's for me. And internally, if you model, uh, as you begin to already here to do, a body that cares for one another, there will be awesome outpourings of God in your midst. So I, I need to... Let's just run for a moment with, uh, before we kind of move forward, is as this whole idea of if we're going to have a commitment with one another, if, if part of who we are is that we're going to take care of one another, okay, um, then, then we need to understand what, what are the keys to caring for one another. If we're going to be the body, it's going to, be, it's going to start with, and we're going to talk about outside of this body in a minute, but right now, the focus is just the people who are a part of this fellowship, okay? That's our first priority is to care for one another, the people within this fellowship. So what, does, what are the keys to caring for one another? What would be some of the things you would say? Okay. Uh, a story ran across my mind. Uh, George Whitfield and John Wesley were contemporaries, and they preached all, they, they'd follow each other usually to correct one another's doctrine. George Whitfield believed once saved, always saved, and John Wesley believed you could fall from grace. So they would follow each other. And one time they asked George Whitfield, they said, do you expect, you expect to see John Wesley in heaven? He said, no, 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 I will not see John Wesley in heaven. They said, Mr. Whitfield, why? He said, because he'll be so much closer to the throne than I am, I won't be able to see him. Now, that's appreciation of diversity. That's the point of that story, diversity. I tell you what, thank God everybody does not think the way you think. If everybody in the world thought the way we thought individually about our stylistic differences, did you know most churches don't function in the body because of stylistic or personal preferences, not biblical things? But anyway, to care for one another means that we have to see that there's diversity in the body. There's age diversity. Did you know it? I tell you what, I'm a part of that generation. We go over to Branson ever so often. It looks like a Q-tip convention. Gray hair and tennis, white tennis shoes and white socks. And I'm a part of the Q-tip generation. There's age diversity in the body. You know, one of the last things I want to say, be, as an old man, I don't want to say, well, that ain't going to work. I don't ever want to be a part of that. I don't want to, uh, I don't want to be critical because there's age diversity. You're not going to do the things the way I, I have done them, thank God. So you're going to have to learn that God's going to send diversity into the church. People that you don't understand. People that, uh, you know, I've heard people right here in this culture, because I'm from here, I can say this, say, well, I tell you what, he's kind of strange. He's from New York. Yeah, and God sent him here, right? So anyway, 
<laughs> Anybody here from New York? I'm sorry, I just said that. When I try to get as far out as I could. But anyway, that diversity, that's care. You have to be willing. You know, Jesus, you ever look at his disciples? What a ragamuffin group of guys. One of them was even a tax collector. Now, you know why tax collectors were hated. The government said get $10. If you could get 20 the rest of it was yours. So that's why they hated them. They never really knew what their taxes were. They just had to pay what the collector wanted. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm log jammed here. I'll move on. Okay. Next, to really care, have you ever heard this said, you have to be present to win? You have to be present to win if you're going to care for people. You know, we do this a lot of times. Oh, their dad died? God bless them. We're sending prayers their way. In this day, when we got so many wonderful things at our disposal, you should never do that. You should call. You should text. You should, uh, you know, what, what somebody said one time, uh, uh, get in the car and go. If you can't, uh, if you don't have a car, get on a bicycle. If you don't have a bicycle, get on a pair of skates. If you don't have skates, just fall that way. But you ought to do something to move towards people in presence because you have to be present to win. And you have to be present with people who are hurting. Uh, I, can I take just a couple of minutes here? I'm going to talk you, about Doug Lewis. I saw, didn't I see Ellie here a while ago? Yeah, I she's think, in the back. She, okay. Don't Ellie, don't that. tell your daddy I talked about him, okay? First time I ever met Doug Lewis, we're talking about diversity and presence. He was driving a car that could also double for mosquito spraying. <laughs> when he fired up, it looked like mosquito sprayer going down the road. It was the worst looking car I've ever seen in my life. It was the ugliest car I've ever seen in my life. And Doug was the hungriest young man I'd ever met in my life to want to know God. So we started this thing of being together in presence. Every Tuesday morning, we met together for a couple hours. I learned more from those meetings than I ever imparted. When I left the church at Dayspring, he bought me the book Tuesdays with Maury because it reminded him of our journey. And from that presence together, a greater man of God than I could have ever been has developed with a great deep anointing on his life. I don't know if you realize that. I think you realize that. But to help people, to love people, to care for people, uh, he'll tell you the truth. You know, the truth will set you free. usually makes you mad as the devil when you first hear it, though. But anyway, that's a model of presence. I just committed myself to presence. He committed himself to presence. And you need to have small groups where you're present with one another. And the preacher can't organize that. Okay, next is, uh, I think, accepting one another, accepting the fact that we have commonality, that we're all creatures of grace, and that there's not one of us that does not need the grace of God. There are, uh, you, you know what Constantine did? He feared the early church because they met in homes. So in 313, he developed buildings and called Christianity the religion of Rome, and he built buildings and put overseers over them, then he could control them. The thing he feared the most was a church that saw Jesus as the head that just went out in, in, not in a building but in a body and ministered to people in the community and ministered to one another. And remember that statement uh, by Josephus, the guy who looked into the church? I got, I got a, I'm sorry, I'm going too long. <laughs> I, but uh, Josephus looked at the church. He didn't really care for them at all, but he said, oh, my, how they love one another. Wouldn't that be the greatest thing if they said cornerstone? We don't understand all those people. They're a complex bunch. They got a wonderful pastor. 
but oh my, how they love one another. That's what I think sometimes at Dayspring would happen. Cultural diversity, color diversity, all those things. And there was love in that body, just like there's love here today, to care for one another and to accept one another and love one another, even in the difficult times. And the last one is compassion. Always be compassionate. Make your words soft and tender because you may have to eat them tomorrow. Uh, don't be what uh, Tom Rainer calls the bad word church. The bad word church is, you know, he walked into a church one night and a guy named the back and he said, welcome to our business meeting. This is the meeting where we keep the pastor straight. <laughs> Compassion. Equality. No graded spirituality. Scott has no greater call on his life than you have. I have no greater call on my life than you have. You're just as responsible to God as I am. And you're just as, you should be just as determined to see this body succeed as anybody else because you're in this body. Okay. That's good. I, uh, <clears throat> one of the things that, that I really want us to, um, to take away from today is, is just a, um, a seriousness about um, our relationship with one another. Um, I mentioned this the other day to, to James, and I, this could be un, easily misunderstood, and, and so I hope you don't today. But I feel like that um, <clears throat> the church today, the modern church today, especially in America, the, the modern church in America takes their services way too seriously. And they take their uh, relationships they're gathering far too lightly. Now, as you think about what I'm saying, the modern church takes their services, their music, their sermon, the, 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 the service itself, where you come in and we've, 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 we're in this um, you know, system now where you come in, you sit down, you know, you look forward. Everything that's supposedly happening significant today is happening on the stage of the church, the platform, okay? And the church has got to a point where it takes, the, the service is taken too seriously. And the gathering itself, the relationships in the room, far too lightly. Can I, just, can I just say this to you? And I, I hope that this will be something you remember. There is nothing more holy than our relationships. We can have unbelievable worship. There is nothing holier than our relationships with one another. There is nothing that God is more concerned about than the way that we care about one another. And we get in this rut where we think that um, everything's really just about how good everything is on the stage. You guys do realize, when we stop and we think about that, you, you realize how false that really is. People... Um, a lot of people who don't go to church, it's not because they're directly rejecting Christ. Many people in our culture don't go to church because, 
life is so busy and complicated and so many things going on that the church itself has not, um, has not become significant enough to compete with everything else going on in their life. So here's what the modern church does because of that dilemma. Because they're trying so hard to compete with the busyness of our culture, the modern church has decided we must put together a service that is so dynamic, that is so great, so entertaining, so inspirational that it will outcompete some other things in people's lives. And people will start to say, that's just so good. I, I have to go be a part of that. It's so good what, they, what they're doing, their music. Their, their, I mean, the service is just unbelievable. And they, hear me out. I'm not here to suggest that we as a church should just not really care about our services. But the modern church has decided that's the way to get people's attention. And I'm here to tell you that I don't know of anything more important than for us to learn how to be a body. I don't know of anything that would be more significant in people's lives than for us to learn how to be the body relationships, deep relationships, where we are for one another, we are in tune with each other's lives, we are committed to one another, we are sacrificing for one another. We, we, we are in, we're, we're not here just to say, how you doing? Great. Hope you have a good week. See you later next week. Boy, the music was good. You understand? That kind of body is never going to compete. It's never going to win the world. It's what we see in, in the first church. What we see that we read it and it seems so, um, it almost seems impossible to us. How could they come together, be one in heart and mind? How could they come together and have no needy persons among them? How could they be so in tune with one another, take care of one another so much? And, you know, that's what I, I want uh, there, there to be just kind of a, a an understanding that okay an understanding that um, we we really need and I believe this with all of my heart church I believe that um, the first church and I'm not talking about the first church right now I'm talking about when a church right now gets a hold of what it means to be the body, there won't be buildings large enough. When we learn how to, to, to love one another and, and get out of this mindset that we are just here for a service and we're going to go home, but when we get to that place where we look each other in the eye every week and we realize you're my brother, you're my sister, we're in this together, the kingdom of God matters to us, Jesus is the head, as James keeps saying, 
that that's what our lives are about, that we look at each other and celebrate our diversity and celebrate the differences in our lives and all of those things, but understand that I will do anything I can do for you. You will do anything that you could do for me. And that, and that becomes kind of a, an atmosphere, an environment that we live in. When, when that begins to take place, then there's an opportunity in that for um, an overflow starts to spill over into the community. There really should be a difference between the way that people are taking care of. And, and, and I think this is something that sometimes is hard for us to understand. We want to serve the community. We want to love people. We want to, we, we want to do ministries to those outside of this body. Absolutely. Um, uh, that's something that's very dear to us. It's very important that we do that. But it starts here. And if we don't learn how to love one another here, we don't have anything to spill over to with. We, we don't have anything that, that, that is really going to spill over. You understand that one of the things that would have happened in the first church and it will happen here is that when, when, a, when people who are lost, people who are struggling and they walk into the church's midst and they come into a, a body and all of a sudden they're loved and their needs are met and there's grace and compassion and forgiveness and dedication to one another. Do you realize how appealing that is? Do you realize how many people are in this community around us right now today who are so desperate for relationships, people that would genuinely care about them? We don't win the world through technology, we don't win the world through unbelievable music. You're not going to win the world through me preaching every Sunday. We're going to win our world with love. That's, that is, is, is ultimately where we have. The, and, and, and here's, let, let me say this, and I'm, and I'm talking too much now, James, but... Um, Sometimes, as, uh, as the pastor of this church, I spend a lot of times thinking about our limitations. You know, as I'm, I'm praying and thinking through the life of this body and how we need to become, um, you know, who we need to become and what needs to happen. And I, I think a lot about our limitations. I think a lot about our weaknesses because we have many. One of the things that excites me about what we're talking about today is I, I, I want to tell you with all seriousness, this is something we can do. Listen, we can do this. We can be that kind of body. We can be the kind of body that nobody could ever walk into our midst and not walk out feeling overwhelmed with love and support. We can do that. We may have all kinds of other limitations right now, 
But I'm telling you, I believe in what is possible in this body in the way that we treat one another. I believe that we can, be, we can get to that point where there is a genuine commitment to one another. When you come, when you come and we come to our services, that, that yeah, we're going to have a service and we're going to you know, ask for, we want to worship and we want God to speak to us, but as high on the priority list as anything else is to be an encouragement to one another is to speak into each other's lives, to, to love one another, to sacrifice for one another, to, 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 to look into people's eyes and, 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 and understand that there's a, there's a whole life there and there's struggles and there's hardships and, there's, and we want to be aware and we want to be tuned in and we want to support and we want to build up. And I'm telling you that when I look at the, this body right now, I'm telling you I believe that that is something that we can do. I'm not saying it's easy. There's all these things that we, there's this gravitational pull towards it being a spectator thing and, you know, surface level. Talk about the same things every week. Shake hands with a few people. Listen, there's always this gravitational pull towards that surface level. But I believe the mark that can be made by this church in this community is that there's an opportunity and there's the heart here to really love each other. James, anything you would say along those lines? Well, just, uh, you know, I call it parking lot miracles. You know, most of... Uh, what I saw a lot of times in the body of Christ at our place was what I call parking lot miracles. People would go up to people in the parking lot that say, hey, uh, now, th now this is not the world we live in because, see, our world is about autonomy, self-discovery, and self-fulfillment. That body was about pleasing the head and serving one another, so it's difficult. But see people go up and say, you know, what are y'all doing Tuesday night? Won't y'all, I'm talking about new people. My brother-in-law got brought into the church. He was a very distant person. He got brought into the church because Chuck and Diana Weber met him in the parking lot and said, won't y'all start coming over Sunday afternoon after church and hanging out with us a couple of hours? Uh, Steve Swindoll, I'm just giving illustrations, he sold somebody a car, and for the next six weeks, every Sunday morning after church, he had the hood up on it, fixing it. He told me one time, he said, don't ever sell anybody in the church a car. <laughs> But my point is, parking lot ministry, where you see and hear the needs of the body, and then you take it upon yourself to meet that need. Not just money, necessarily. Sometimes uh, when children are in rebellion, to go up to parents and say, hey, let's have a cup of coffee this week. Because if you've ever been through that, you feel like, you're the most isolated person in the world because, you know, all I wanted my kids to do when I raised them was be perfect. You're supposed to laugh on that. But anyway, my point is, when you know somebody's going through it, do some parking lot or do some calling. And, and ministry can happen right in here, but follow through on the things that God puts in your heart. And let me tell you something. I heard somebody say this one time, and I'm going to quit. The devil will never, never tell you to encourage anybody. The devil will never tell you to give to anybody your time so don't worry about if it's God or not. If it drops in your heart, that's divine flow. If the body will follow divine flow, 
that's when we start meeting one another's needs. And, you know, it's just the most exciting thing in the world is to, is to be a part of what God is doing in the earth. I'll never forget, I heard Gary Smalley one time. I went to Branson to a marriage seminar and uh, learned a lot about me. I wanted my wife to learn a lot, but anyway, I learned a lot about me. But anyway, she didn't have to learn near as much as I did at that meeting. I'll never forget this as long as I live. Gary Smalley said, now you guys know how to spell love, don't you? It's T-I-M-E. And that's how you spell love in the body of Christ, is giving each other our time, which is our greatest commodity, to be there for one another, to pray with one another, to serve one another, to be at the hospital. My dad died in 1981. With me was Larry Compton, Danny Cochran, and Marvin Cochran. I'll never forget that as long as I live because they were with me in my hour of need. I don't even have to think about who was there. Make those memories in ministry to where people say, you know, and i tell you one time, and I'll give a real vulnerable illustration here. My son got in deep trouble on a Saturday night at a basketball game. And he was actually looking at being kicked out of school for a few days. My son, I guess, is the only guy I know in history that actually got kicked out of the Toka High School. <laughs> I'll never forget what happened. I watch the situation develop at church. I find out about it on Sunday morning when I get to church. And I see my son come down for prayer because he certainly needs it. And guess who the very first person that wrapped their arms around him and wrapped him up was? Mark McPherson. I'll never forget that as long as I live because at that moment I needed somebody in the body to say, I'm with you. And uh, there's a lot of pain in here today. You know why? Because there's human beings in here today. There's a lot of pain right here today. You know why? Because there's a human being here. But there's nothing any more invigorating when somebody hears God and does something in the name of Jesus to be a servant to me or I hear God and do something to serve you and you know that God is working in your life. Nothing any more exciting than that. Scott. That's well, let me wrap up with these words. Um, <clears throat> I just, uh, I, I want to encourage you. We have the opportunity just today in a practical level to begin to, to, to try to build on something, um, a, a discipline, a um, you know, characteristics that we need to grow in. Um, and that is that uh, the way that that begins is we just decide that we are going to be committed to one another. And so, you know, as we leave this service and we go back and we have a meal together, um, listen, it's an opportunity for you to be invested in one another to be for one another, to care about what's going on in people's lives, to have the courage to ask people, how are you? What's going on in your life? You know, how are things going? Talk, listen, you know, go beyond. I, I know sometimes it takes great courage, but, but go beyond the surface level of things and begin. We, we need to find ways as a body where we are, um, you know, learning how to be in tune with our real lives not our superficial lives, but our real lives. We need that from one another. 
And so, you know, as we dismiss here in a moment, we're going to go share a meal together. And what an opportunity just to begin, just to, to stand around, to sit, to, to talk with people, to, to uh, I mean, to be vulnerable, uh, to share, to build relationships so that we can continue to, to, uh, to focus on something that is critically, critically important to who we are. So let me just take a moment and pray for us, and then we're going to dismiss. Father God, um, you know, we could spend um, a long time today trying to flesh out what this looks like and what it means. Um, but just mere talking and uh, uh, they just would fall short. We, we need your Holy Spirit to move in our midst to um, uh, teach us about these opportunities, these divine moments that we have with one another where we um, we just find different ways to express love and concern and, and our commitment to one another. I, I want to grow, Father, in our worship, and I want to grow in the different aspects of our service, but first and foremost, I, I pray for this church as a body that uh, you would teach us how to love each other that we would see that as our, our greatest opportunity to be the body and to reach people. And so today I just ask that uh, uh, just even in the talk that we've had today that there would be a, a, a new hunger to know each other, to be for each other, to be present with each other. Um, so we ask your blessing upon our time together in, in this meal but, but every time that we get together, may there be that commitment to each other, that you would, would do mighty things through that and that we would see you at work and it would just become infectious. Thank you for this body of believers. And we love you today. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we, uh, um, we're just going to dismiss straight from here. And I want you to know, please don't think twice. Uh, about, I mean, we, we want you to stay. There is more than enough food, and Brian will be absolutely offended if you leave and get in your car and, and go. So, no, we want you to stay and be a part. Let's, uh, let's fellowship together. Love you guys. You're dismissed. <laughs>